Blog Talk Radio. Hello. Uh, this is the missing Dr. Larry Simon. I should call myself Dr. Larry on this show. Probably make me more popular, more listened to, just like Dr. Phil. Anyway, I surprised myself today by not only scheduling a show, but uh, actually doing a show. And uh, I haven't done one. Well, last month I did one, and I figure at this point maybe once a month, uh, unless, again, I get fired up to do it more often. Um, and I uh, said I was not going to do many shows because I feel I've said everything. And uh, what's the point of repeating um, uh, the same thing over and over again? Uh, but I today felt a different slant on things. And again, I feel a kind of a conscience and an urgency to say what I say uh, to whoever might come this way and fall upon this uh, uh, broadcast. Um, I, again, I think things are in a very bad state. And uh, I was watching a show in which they were showing the uh, melting of the ice caps and wondering uh, how come I'm the only one that I know who, uh, when looking at this ice cap that's disappearing, the northern ice cap absolutely disappearing. Uh, the southern ice cap is about to drop into the ocean. Uh, all the polar bears will be gone. Am I the only one who's upset about this uh, and feels that something needs to be done? Um, uh, and this led me to think, well, maybe there is something to say, uh, and maybe it'll be heard by somebody. Um, why aren't people upset? And I think the reason is has to do with the stories that we live by. And the stories we live by very often contain elements that we're not even aware of. In other words, we're a character in a story and we talk about other people. Uh, and most of our stories are limited to the people around us or to the celebrities that we uh, see on television or in the movies. Uh, I think that for many people in our society today, lonely and isolated as they are, the people who are most real to them are not real at all, but characters being played by actors and actresses, uh, or by real people on reality TV shows that are brought to you by corporations and managed down to the uh, nth degree and end up being having no reality in them at all. But um, we don't really look at the larger world, many of us. Um, it, it, it scares us to think that the world uh, that we live in could be damaged to the point that we can't live in it. And when we examine the kind of stories uh, that we, we, we do live by, not only are they limited in this way in terms of where we cast our eye and where the character that we are in our story uh, lives, uh, we don't cast it outward enough, uh, I think, and we don't cast it into the future far enough. But there are kinds of, of limits built into how we see. And today I want to talk about some of those limitations. First, when people think about the world, they think about it as permanent. Um, and many of us think about ourselves as permanent. Oh, yes, we know we're going to die or we're going to uh, transform and pass on, uh, but we're not going to uh, uh, disappear. Our consciousness will continue somehow on to forever. 
so that no matter what happens to the world, it couldn't break down, it couldn't disappear. Um, and, and so permanence, the search for permanence, and built into our ideas that there is some kind of real permanence, uh, guides our thinking and doesn't allow us to even be upset uh, by any other kind of thought. It's permanent. Now, I can't speak the truth. I can only speak for my stories and the way in which I feel uh, about the same kind of ideas as permanence. And I feel there's no such thing as permanence. I am not permanent. Uh, when I die, the only way I will continue to exist will be in the memory of those who care for me. Uh, uh, my family, my children, uh, anybody who's heard these broadcasts that had some, and it had some meaning to, uh, somebody who might have read my books. And as I've said before, I'm convinced that one of the reasons I do write books or have written books, uh, the idea of writing another book uh, absolutely uh, turns me off at this point, um, is to create a feeling of permanence in the sense that there'll be something of me that will live on after I am gone. But I'm convinced that my consciousness will cease to exist. And I really do believe that if everybody lived by the same story, however scary that story is to live by, uh, it will produce or reduce the amount of damage that we're doing to ourselves, to our loved ones, to others, and to the planet we live on. The idea that there's an escape clause, there's an escape hatch, uh, and that um, we don't have to live every moment as fully and as creatively as we have to uh, makes us uh, do things and accept things uh, that otherwise we wouldn't. And one of the things we wouldn't accept is the idea that we can be perfect or that there are others around us who are perfect and better than us. And for those of you who might have heard my show before, this is a recurrent theme and one that becomes more and more important to me. Um, to examine and to expunge and get rid of from my own story. When somebody says or thinks or believes that someone is a perfect person or themselves or others, everybody's in trouble. We really get into all kinds of terrible trouble. First of all, the idea that being perfect is that we're morally perfect uh, or physically perfect or intellectually perfect. And, of course, the, 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 the uh, prime model for perfection is the God, the idea of God or gods. Uh, and most of the people alive today, not gods, but one God, uh, that's perfection, uh, that they relate to and in one way or another see as perhaps controlling them or making them right and making them better than others. Uh, again, I've spoken about this many times. Uh, I don't think there's a real danger in believing in a God, but certainly a God uh, that is knowable, that is like us, and that is perfect, uh, that we can emulate and know everything and do everything, never be wrong, uh, hold ourselves above other human beings, or just as bad, hold other human beings about above ourselves, uh, uh, is something that uh, I hope never to fall into again. And I think my story really is 
uh, uh, rid of that. I've spoken, for example, about the way we use labels, psychiatric labels and moral labels, uh, to define ourselves or other people. In my story, I am better than nobody. I'm better than nobody, and nobody is better than me. We're different. Uh, if there are six billion people on this planet, we're all different. And while some of the things that some people do I admire, because I think they do them better than me, and I would like to do them better than I do. For example, I played some golf today, and I, they played better than they've ever played before. And um, uh, I say to myself, like I get up in the morning and I say, I am not permanent. Live today as if it's my last day. Enjoy the moment as if it's my, possibly my last moment. Um, I am better than nobody. And my fact that I play golf better than some people, but not half as well as some others, in no way makes them better than me or me better than those others. We are equal as human beings. We're equal in the ballot box. Uh, if you accept the God story, we're equal in the eyes of a God or creator. No one is better than anyone, and it has to be said, at least in my point of view, every day. There are no hierarchy of people. And this leads to uh, one of the third uh, 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 aspects of changing stories, the idea that goodness and perfection is found in being obedient. There is no one or nothing to be obedient to, but perhaps our own conscience. And I believe this wholly and wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly that the idea of looking for someone to tell you how to live your life is as big a curse as walking around thinking uh, that uh, you could smoke, drink, uh, uh, do whatever you want because you're permanent, uh, that you can hurt others because you're better than them, or accept abuse at the hands of others because they're somehow more perfect and better than you, uh, essentially, as a human being. I listen to our leaders in the United States, and I get sick. Not from all of them, just most of them. There was a wonderful article uh, this Sunday by Frank Rich in the New York Times in which he suggests uh, that Tiger Woods should be made the man of the year, man of the decade. Uh, everybody looked at Tiger Woods as some kind of paragon of perfection, the best athlete on the planet, at least the best golfer on the planet, perfect, perfect family man, and then we discover that he's just another human being uh, who uh, seems to operate on rules of his own that do not include protecting his wife's uh, good name uh, or not subjecting her to the most awful kind of humiliation. And in the end, he becomes a laughing stock. How well he'll, or how long he'll be a laughing stock, I don't know. And Rich goes on to say that all the reporters who knew about this but wanted to create and maintain the image of, of Tiger Woods as this absolute master, as this, this paragon to be worshipped and to be looked up to, uh, are guilty of, of almost a crime because they did not show 
Tiger Woods as a human being. And I'm not talking about outing Tiger Woods or humiliating Tiger Woods. That would make us Tiger Woods. But that we should know and not hide ourselves in a fantasy, in some kind of a story, that, that Tiger Woods is better than us. He certainly plays a hell of a game of golf. And I admire and enjoy watching him. Although I have to say, after this, I'm not sure I won't be able to watch Tiger Woods play golf and not giggle. Um, Fritz goes on to talk about the economic leaders who uh, plunged us into the worst economic disaster since the Great Depression. Individuals we saw as perfect, all-knowing, who were not outed and who did not out themselves as they uh, plundered and stole and lied. And uh, the people who led us into Iraq uh, and now Afghanistan and whoever knows how many other wars, uh, or the Iranians who flirt uh, with nuclear disaster and, and bringing their own people into a state of horrendous disaster, or Afghanistan, uh, run by warlords, all of whom speak for God as if they were perfect and permanent, and all of us being obedient to these individuals uh, who should be laughed at and giggled at uh, for the silliness and the posturing that they constantly engage in. And yet this is the social structure of much of the world. Uh, run by individuals that we do not question because they are better than us. In our story, they are better. Who are we to take on the creative responsibility of our lives and be a full citizen? Uh, A full citizen, not only of the United States, uh, the country we love, uh, but of the world which we depend upon for our continued existence. We are quiet. We do not speak up. We go along. And we are damaged increasingly. The last decade, Rich says, and I completely agree, is a catastrophe. Economic, political, moral catastrophe of of individuals uh, who live by stories that uh, I can't even get my head around. Kings of the universe kings of the universe, individuals whose need for money uh, was so great that they had to have money beyond anything they could ever spend. And then, of course, if we look, we ask, what is this drive for power? What motivates this drive for money? What motivates a man to have sex with endless numbers of women? Uh, And again, Uh, We can say all of it's fun and the lifestyle is interesting and you can't really uh, argue with that. But the end results are so disastrous for those who do it and those of us who stand by and allow it to be done to us. uh, Life becomes so unreal, so disconnected from the basic emotions and the basic creativity that for me and my story makes life worth living. What fuels it? What fuels it, to me, is that the search for permanence and perfection 
and someone to tell us how to live our lives and what is the right thing to do are illusions. There is no perfection. There are only us mortal human beings who know very little compared to what we need to know. You see? Very few experts who can tell us what we need to know. Very, very few uh, notions of real permanence. We are here today and we are gone tomorrow. How can we live our lives under these circumstances? We don't want to live our lives. We want to know everything. We want to know, how can I live forever? How can I know everything? How can I be loved? And when we don't have enough of the things that make life good, people to love us, uh, enough to eat, a good place to sleep, work that we believe in that is helpful to others, uh, something that's creative, something that we make that no one else can make just like us, uh, then we're losing something. We feel empty. We feel meaningless. We feel purposeless. And this then starts to fuel the search for a something that never gets defined. So if only I had enough money, if only I have enough power, uh, I would be protected. And our lives become illusions. The Buddhists talk about the hungry ghosts of this planet, individuals who are endlessly hungry for something. Sometimes it's food, sometimes it's alcohol, Sometimes it's sex, sometimes it's money. And by the way, every time I hear somebody say that, poor Tiger Woods is a sex addict. I want to laugh. Sex is a wonderful thing. How can anybody have too much sex? Unless, of course, it's driven by an emptiness that they don't understand and a search for power and the illusion that they are above all of the people in their lives looking down at them as there was some kind of bug that, 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 that can be used and abused. But that's not an addiction. That's another made-up word to, to, to explain something that has a dynamic behind it. And the dynamic, the interesting part of the dynamic is that it is driven by its opposite. I feel small, helpless, inferior, I feel like a bad person. All ideas that have to be embraced in our story and accepted. I am not going to be here for very long. Uh, in fact, I'm going to have my 70th birthday this June. Uh, a thought that turns me upside down and at the same time very proud and happy. I, I got, I'll be, if I make it, I'll be 70. It's a long life. Uh, uh, but it won't go on much longer after that. It can't. Most people do not live to 80. And if they do, they don't live to 90. The years go by very, very quickly. Uh, what do I have to do to, to make sure uh, that I live longer? And the answer is, well, vague ideas. Exercise, eat right, don't drink too much, don't smoke, take my medications where, where appropriate. Uh, but all of those are grasping at straws. We really don't know. Uh, we don't have control. I don't have control here in Florida of all the crazy drivers uh, who drive as if uh, nothing can happen to them and take chances on the road uh, that uh, are absolutely weird and horrendous 
those are my judgments of it and terrify me every time I get into a car and go out on the road. So, it, 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 it's a very difficult thing because I do believe that the misery that's being caused to each individual who searches, takes seriously that they're better or worse than someone else, that they can be perfect, that they can have a permanent life, that nothing will ever change, that if only enough people listen to them or they listen to the right people about how to live, uh, all of this uh, keeps them from a, their own creative solutions, keeps them from the kind of love uh, uh, which depends upon seeing another human being and their needs and their desires as at least as important as your own. It keeps them from that. It keeps them seeking domination. It keeps them, in our country especially, how much money do I need? How many houses do I need? How many cars do I need? Uh, and never, ever is it enough. It can't be enough. And so it doesn't matter if I destroy the company that I run and the people lose their pensions and the people lose their jobs. It doesn't matter. They're not important. What is important is my search for glory, my search for perfection, my search to protect myself from being the flawed, helpless, relatively ignorant human being uh, that I am. Well, I feel better now that I've said all of this. I don't know who listens to it. I don't know what difference it makes. But I would like to see the world become a different place. I would like to see every human being wake up in the morning and say, now what story do I live by today? What kind of character am I? Am I a permanent character? Or I am one that uh, is going to pass into non-existence, into non-being, except in the memory of others. Am I perfect? No. Am I imperfect? Am I a piece of shit? Am I no good? Am I an individual who never should have been born? Uh, <clears throat> am I less than everybody? Hopefully not. I am who I am, and I search to be better to other people. I search to be better than myself, and I today will try to hit a better golf ball, make a better broadcast, be kinder or nicer to somebody, because they exist as I do, as different from me, but as valuable as I am. Not more valuable, not less valuable. And if I listen to somebody... Is it out of awe and obedience and fear? Or do I listen because what they tell me makes sense? Is my story one in which I am a character living with other characters, all of whom are equal and have the same rights on this planet for as long as they are here? Or shall I be engaged in a struggle to dominate or be dominated? To, to wildly seek things uh, that will never make my life better, but only make me and the world around me miserable. And if I have power in this world, will I use it to, to prolong life, to make people smile, to make people happy, to make people joyful, or will I try to crush them and not worry about the long-term consequences of what I do?
Well, I don't know what else to say. I don't expect anybody to be on the air to discuss this with me. Um, there are people who seem to find my broadcast afterwards, 75, 80, 90, 100. I have a couple of broadcasts that go back uh, that uh, several thousand people have apparently tuned into. I've never asked, and nor do I want to even know, how long do people stay on my broadcast when they do. There's a number of people who have asked to be my friend who have broadcasts on this uh, uh, blog talk radio system. Um, and that, that uh, I find nice. Occasionally I do listen to somebody else's show, um, although I try to listen to uh, uh, a nice show, uh, David Oaks's show, about uh, 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 about uh, what's his show called? Mind Freedom. Uh, and I couldn't figure out how to listen at the same time and speak to him on the on the air. Uh, that bothered me. I have to make a call and see if I can figure that out. Anybody who wants to listen to a good show, uh, listen to the Mind Freedom show with David Oaks. And I think it's it's uh, blogtalkradio.com slash David Oaks. Uh, interesting man. And uh, uh does an interesting job in terms of trying to help people understand the psychiatric damage that the mental health industry does to people by uh, by dominating their lives, forcing them into servitude under the name of forced psychotherapy, uh, all the other dangers that occur when an individual internalizes the idea that they are defective, damaged and defective, because some professional who uh, himself uh, doesn't live much of a better life than anyone else um, has told them that they are defective because they possess some kind of mental illness. Okay. So, I think I've done enough. Uh, I don't know if anybody would like to call in in the last few minutes, if they're there. I do finally find sometimes that a dozen people were listening it's very hard to get people to call in. They call in at 646-716-7756. A lot of sixes. 646-716-7756. Uh, probably won't make another broadcast for about a month. Um, you know what? Why don't I add a broadcast a little bit? I was going to talk about uh, a David Brooks article. Uh, I, I've spoken a number of uh, times about David Brooks's article called The Rush to Therapy. And um, uh, this, this, I'm going to read a little bit of his, his uh, article. This was in the New York Times of November 10th. My goodness, it's over a month old. And I was going to do it as a follow-up to my, old, my last broadcast. Uh, and he says, we're all born late. <clears throat> we're born into history that is well underway. We're born into cultures, nations, and languages that we didn't choose. Namely, in my terms, we were born into stories, not of our own making. On top of that, we're born with certain brain chemicals and genetic predispositions that we can't control. We're thrust into social conditions that we detest, and often we react in ways we regret even while we're doing them. But unlike other animals, people do have a drive to seek coherence and meaning. We have a need to tell ourselves stories that explain it all. We use these stories to supply the metaphysics without which life seems pointless and empty. 
Among all the things we don't control, we do have some control over our stories. Doesn't this sound just like me? Isn't it interesting? Um, um, We do have a conscious say in selecting the narrative we will use to make sense of the world. world. Individual responsibility is contained in the act of selecting and constantly revising the master narrative we tell about ourselves. The stories we select help us in turn to interpret the world. They guide us to pay attention to certain things and ignore other things. They lead us to see certain things as sacred and other things as disgusting. They are the frameworks that shape our desires and goals. So while story selection may seem vague and intellectual, it's actually very powerful. The most important power we have is the power to help select the lens through which we see reality. Most people select stories that lead toward cooperation and goodness, but over the past few decades, a malevolent narrative has emerged. The narrative has emerged on the fringes of the Muslim world, in a narrative that sees human history as a war between Islam on one side and Christianity and Judaism on the other. I have to agree with him there, but disagree that the same narrative doesn't exist in Judaism and Christianity. They don't see others as fully human. <clears throat> they come to see others, believe others can be blamelessly murdered, and that, in fact, is admirable to do so. This narrative is embraced by a small minority. Actually, I don't think it's a small minority. I think that the people who ran Enron and AIG and Wall Street into the ground, that is their narrative. Even though they're not aware of it, they don't articulate it. It's, I can have all the money in the world, and screw you, Jack. You can have nothing. Yeah, not as violent as that, that, that the Muslim uh, uh, variety, but it's part and parcel of the same story. Um, it has caused incredible amounts of suffering within the Muslim world, in Israel, in the U.S., and others. With their suicide bombings and terrorist acts, adherence to this narrative have made themselves central uh, to global politics. They are the ones who go into crowded rooms, shout, Allahu Akbar, or God is great, and then start murdering. When Major Nidal Malik Hassan did that in Fort Hill, Texas last week, Many Americans had an understandable and in some ways admirable reaction. They did not want the horror to become a pretext for anti-Muslim history. So immediately the coverage took on a certain cast. The possibility of Islamic extremism was immediately played down. This was an isolated personal breakdown and not an ideological assault many people emphasized. Major Hassan was portrayed as a disturbed individual who was under a lot of stress. We learn about pre-traumatic stress syndrome and secondary stress disorder, which one gets from hearing about other people's stress. We heard the theory, unlikely in retrospect, that Hassan was so traumatized by the thought of going into combat zone that he decided to take a gun and create one of his own. A shroud of political correctness settled over the conversation. Hassan was portrayed as a victim of society, a poor soul, was pushed over the edge by prejudice and unhappiness. There was a national rush to therapy. Hassan was a loner who had trouble finding a wife and socializing with his neighbors. This response is understandable. It is important to tamp down vengeful hatreds and moments of passion, but it is also patronizing. Public commentators assume the air of kindergarten teachers who had to protect their children from thinking certain impermissible and intolerant thoughts. 
If public commentary wasn't carefully policed, the assumption seemed to be then the great mass of unwashed yahoos in the middle of America would go off on a racist rampage. Worse, it absolved Hassan before the real evidence was in of his responsibility. He didn't have a choice to be lonely or unhappy, but he did have a choice over what story to build out over those circumstances. And evidence is now mounting that he chose the extremist war on Islam narrative that so often leads to murderous results. Yes, uh, the idea that this man was sick and therefore not responsible uh, is, is uh, the main, one of the main theories and stories of our society. And it sickens Mr. Brooks and it sickens me. What he did, if we judge it, was evil. It was wrong. But it was based on a narrative that says, I am part of God and God tells me that the great Satan, less than me, not deserving of life, can be murdered. It's an awful story, but it's one of the stories that I've been talking about now for many, many months, actually for several years, that dominate this planet in one way or another and, and, and could bring life on this planet either to its end or to a misery that nobody can accept. So, thank you, Mr. Brooks. Uh, thank you, New York Times. Uh, thank you, Frank Rich the rich and thank you for whoever is there listening or will listen to this broadcast i'm going to uh sign off now and uh that'll be it so take care for those who hear this before the new year's have a happy holiday and a happy new year uh, and may we all be less permanent less perfect and less obedient in the year to come take care and goodbye